Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon deep into our 29th year together on Money Talk a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always call or text to determine our agenda, 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of the last several years of Money Talk. Also, you can go to SoundCloud. I just checked this this afternoon. Download the app for free, and you can listen to all of our previous broadcasts without the uh, commercial breaks. Also, you can listen online. I think I said that, but this Thursday, after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show. It's a great idea to call or text at the beginning of the hour. I take today's calls first, then today's text, then any other text that I haven't had the opportunity to answer in the past. I don't have any of those today. And, of course, there's always the bloviation threat. However, I do have a couple of things to go over that came up last week. You can hopefully hear the shuffling of the papers here. We had a pretty technical conversation about requirement for a distribution from a beneficiary IRA and whether or not you were having to take it out annually. You may know that if you inherit an IRA, and this is not a spousal IRA, say you inherit an IRA from your mother uh, and you inherited it after the person passed away after 2019, the question was, in the old days, you had your life expectancy to take the withdrawal. So that was called a stretch IRA. Then they changed the statute to where you had to take it out in 10 years, but you had the flexibility as to timing that. So perhaps if you didn't need the money and you knew you had a large liability coming in the future, you could take it out at that time, let it compound until then and grow. Or perhaps you knew that you were going to be retiring or in some other fashion falling into a lower tax bracket and would be more beneficial to take it out at a later time. Then there was conversation that no, you're going to have to take it out in equal installments. Well, I talked via email with my CPA of 40 years, and I asked her what to do, and she said, uh, that, said hi, Carl, that taking it out per, per year was before the pronouncement that there'd be no 2023 required mis- distribution on IRAs inherited after 2019, and they postponed it again. The CPA community thinks the IRS interpretation is wrong, and we are working on it. I hope this is helpful, and it is helpful. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I've got some tidbits here that I just find interesting, and I'm going to go through these. Uh, and we'll be glad to stop if you call or text 512-836-0590. Here's one. Americans in the top 1% income bracket had average annual earnings of $824,000 in 2020, while those in the top 10% had incomes of $173,000. I don't know about you, but I'm a little surprised by that, that you can be in the top 10% 
of income Americans if your annual income is $173,000 or more. And it went on to say this comes from the, something called the Economic Policy Institute. So a 1% lifestyle in retirement may be out of reach for most Americans, but living like the top 10% would require a more manageable savings target of $2.5 million. I mean, there's a lot packed into that. Uh, I don't know how they come up with the $2.5 million. I would guess uh, it. if you learned that when you're 60 years old, it kind of doesn't matter if you haven't started savings. On the other hand, if you started earlier, uh, it may be an attainable thing to do. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Also, I get these really complex Social Security questions that I know if you're a regular listener, it's uh, time to stump the chump on those. But I thought this was uh, important and interesting, but also important about the cost of living increase and for Social Security beneficiaries. The highest inflation in decades resulted in Social Security's annual cost of living adjustment, or COLA, to spike up to 5.9% in 2021 and 8.7% in 2022. Both increases were higher than any other year since 1982, believe it. As inflation has cooled, 2020's in, this year, 2023's increase is now expected to fall to 3%. While down sharply from the last two years, it would still be higher than any other year between 2012 and 2020. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I believe we got a text. Let's just click that up here and see what it is. Okay. Ah, great. Virgil, you're on the air. How may I help? Uh, yeah, uh, Carl, this is not really a question. It's a comment. Yeah. To my understanding and knowledge you are the only financial advisor on the air that gives actual value direct advice and you're an indispensable financial source for this community that's all i have well that's a wonderful thing you're very welcome (laughs) that's great (laughs) virgil is not a person thank you and i know let me just say virgil is not my brother Or my son, thank you so much. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. All right, we got some more tidbits here. With the year-to-date gains, and this was done, I got this, this is the as of close of business July 21st. With year-to-date gains ranging from plus 38% for the stock of Google Alphabet to 220%, you got that right, 220% through July 19th for NVIDIA, local employer, the seven seven largest companies in the capitalization-weighted NASDAQ 100 accounted for 55% of the index in mid-July. And we had a question about this, I think, the last week or two. This prompted NASDAQ to perform its third ever, quote, special rebalance after the close of business on July 21st. According to the index terms, the combined weighting of stocks in the index with weightings larger than 4.5% can't exceed 48%. So what that means is that when you get a real heavy concentration of the winners, they will then rebalance the portfolio. They're not going to kick them out, just going to rebalance the portfolio. 512-836-0590. 
Here's the text. Carl, looking at 10-year U.S. Treasury bonds next week to purchase. Let me see. No, that is not today's, I don't think. Let's try this one here. Here we go. 51 years old, and I would like to start an IRA conversion to a Roth IRA. Is there any reason not to start the conversion? So for everybody else, if you have money, maybe it was your employer-sponsored plan. It was a 401k. You left that particular employer, and you rolled over your money into an IRA. Now you have an IRA. Also, it could be that you made your own contributions to the IRA. Let's assume, to make this simple, that your contributions were pre-tax, okay? And you decide that you'd like to have a Roth IRA. Now, when you the money that you convert, obviously, is going to be added to your taxable income. So there's no reason not to start it, but there's a reason to pay attention to the tax consequences. So you want to get a firm understanding of what your marginal bracket is. That's all that means is on the next dollar of taxable income, what will be your tax rate? Because there's there's small increments like from 22% to 24%, but there are large increments like from 24% to 32%. So unless you have some reason to be in a hurry, you want to you want to stay in the same or or very similar marginal tax bracket. That's number one. Number two, obviously, you've got to keep the money either from the conversion, keep part of it out to pay the taxes or have the money someplace else. So in my view, as long as it makes tax sense for you and you like the benefits in the future of tax-free withdrawals or not or no required minimum distribution, then there's no reason not to start the conversion. Thanks for the text. It's time for me to take a break. Time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be right back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon till 5 p.m. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Hello, Carl. What asset classes should be considered core holdings for investment accounts, and how will the core holdings vary by account type, taxable, tax-deferred, tax-free? It's a wonderful question. So let's start at let's start at the basics because I I I've learned over the last forty five years that a lot of investors start at kind of like what should what which stock fund should I buy or should I buy actively managed stock funds or index funds and what about bond funds I think the first thing is to recognize that asset allocation that's the mix of stuff you have is the single biggest determinant of two things the return you're going to get over time and the risk you're going to take over time so let me just make an example let's suppose that you have 60 percent in stocks and 40 percent in bonds and let's suppose that the stock market drops 20 percent and your bonds just stay flat you have 60 percent of your portfolio dropping 20 percent that's a 12 percent decline 
I'm not suggesting it's that simple. I'm just pointing out it's good to think about these things because periodically the stock market is going to drop, and it's going to drop frequently more than 20%, and you have to have the emotional strength to hang on because you've got an asset allocation. So having started with that, I think if your goal is to grow the money, you have to have core holdings and equities, stocks. And you have to have also some other assets that, based on history, usually provide diversification. But more than that, some kind of risk mitigation regarding correlation. This gets really in the weeds, but I think it's really important. So last year was an unusual year in that the the classic 60-40 stock bond situation, asset allocation, provided the worst, according to my reading, the worst total return in about 40 years. Now, interest rates have risen substantially since then. And you can own what's called a core bond fund, which is typically a fund that invests in investment-grade corporates, uh, government-backed securities like Fannie and Freddie. They can even invest in U.S. Treasuries. You can invest in a core fund that would typically have uh, a, a duration of around six to seven, six years, seven years, and get clip five, six percent type income. And you're going to, based on history, with the major exception of last year, you're going to have a non-correlating asset in those bonds. However, every portfolio has a minimum, in my view, of three risks. I'll give you the fancy terms. They're called credit equity, credit, and duration. The equity risk simply means the stock market goes down. The credit risk is that you own bonds and the issuers fail. Does that happen? Of course it does. That tends to be in the high-yield bond space. And then duration, which is what happened last year, is when interest rates rise, bonds go down, pretty much regardless of whether they're treasuries or corporates, tax-exempt municipals. So you have to decide if you have the time and the interest to seek out other asset classes, which, based on history, provide some relief from those three. So, for example, in the equity, in the equity risk, there are strategies available in mutual fund format and exchange-traded funds that are called systematic trading or managed futures. And you can go to Morningstar or some other resource and do some searching there. Now, what happens is in a period because they can rise in value whether asset classes are falling or rising a sustained bad year like last year and these funds can deliver 15 to 20 percent returns a couple that i uh, use were 16 and 18 percent now that it's like homeowner's insurance you don't want to have hail damage but you still have homeowner's insurance you think i'm paying these premiums and I'm getting no value until you have to replace your roof. And so you have to put some modest apart in there, right? Because in a good stock market, they may just lie flat or go down one or 2%. Credit, on the other hand, is in, of the three risks is the easiest in my experience with which to deal. And that is don't buy high yield bond funds. Or if you want to buy high yield bond funds, Understand the correlation. The last time I checked, a perfect correlation is 1.0. The two asset classes move in the same direction with the, with the same uh, dispersion. But 
high-yield bonds had 0.84, which is a really high correlation to, to large-cap equities. So if you owned an S&P 500 stock fund and it went up 10%, in a perfect world, your high-yield bonds would have a total return of 8.4. But if it went down 10%, they would be down 8.4%. So I, the way to avoid dur- the credit risk is not to own high-yield bond f- or high-yield bond funds. Duration risk is when interest rates rise, bonds go down in value, as bondholders painfully learned last year. And there are strategies under the heading of event-driven that engage in long-time strategies like merger arbitrage that last year when the uh, bond market measured by the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index was down about, as I recall, 12 or 13%. They were somewhere between flat and down 2%. And they typically do well when short-term interest rates are high, which is what they are now. So there are some non-correlating assets. As it regards taxable, tax-deferred, or tax-free, if you're in a high enough tax bracket to use municipal tax-exempt municipal bond funds in your taxable account, then be my be my guest, but make sure you are because you can look at the yield on a municipal bond fund and plug in your marginal bracket to determine that they're really valuable. I mean, right now, this year, to be in the top bracket of 37%, your taxable income has to be over, if you're married finally jointly, $693,750. If you're a single taxpayer, over 578000 So if you're above that, and you find a municipal bond fund, take that return and do a tax-equivalent yield calculation to determine if it's better than the taxable bond. So taxable or, ta- or, or tax-exempt bonds, stocks, and then for me personally, and this isn't an always thing, but I, as listeners know, for the last three years, I have been underweighted bonds and have had gold in the form of an exchange-traded fund. And I still think that that belongs in there. I must say, I think bonds are much, much more attractive than they've been in a long time. So your allocation could be greater there. So I hope that's a helpful answer to a really thoughtful question with lots of detail. 512-836-0590. Let's see here. I think I've got another text. This is a long one. And we've got about three minutes. I may get through this. We may do this in the second half of today. Hi, Carl. You frequently advocate that your listeners wait until age 70 to claim Social Security, and I understand why. However, doesn't this ignore the compounding potential of eight additional years of checks by claiming a 62? Using my actual benefit amounts for Social Security from SSA.gov, if I were to claim at age 62 and invest 100% of my checks in a diversified ETF portfolio, which grows at an average of 5% annually, my calculations show I am better off all the way up to the age of 90 versus waiting to claim my benefit at 70. Additionally, claiming early gives me some protection in the event of an early death or change to a Social Security, for example, means testing, which would lower my benefit in the future. Even if I stuck my Social Security checks under a mattress and got zero return, I would still be better off all the way up to age 80 by claiming a 62. What am I missing? Thanks for your show. Tom in Georgetown. Well, I'm sure that the numbers you're working are accurate. I guess there's a couple of things. First, the COLA in there, 
like last year, this year people are getting an 8.7% increase, and that exceeds the return that you anticipate making. And then from full retirement age, probably for you 67 or so, the benefit grows at 8% per year if you hold it to 70. So if you're a sophisticated investor and you believe that you can make that return, and you also assume that the annual increases in the COLA will be less than your average 5%, um, then I'm, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. I just find for most people, having Social Security as the base of the retirement pyramid and knowing that that's guaranteed gives them a comfort level and also, frankly, may allow them to take a bit more risk with their own investments, which can help offset some of the inflation risk. I'll think about that some more during the break, and that's what time it is right now. Don't hesitate to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon for another 27 minutes. If you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of the last several years of Money Talk. You can also go to SoundCloud and do the same thing. That's a free app. And this Thursday after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show. I was making a comment. I had a really good question from Tom in Georgetown, and before that a question from another person about what asset classes should be in uh, a, a portfolio. And I commented on on bonds uh, and if you're not someone who's pays close attention to these things we had a huge bull market for 40 years starting in 1981 when interest rates were at a peak and coming down from something like i was over 15 maybe even 18 percent of the 10-year treasury and what that did it allowed huge increases in real estate values because mortgage rates came down, more people could afford to buy homes, and it pushed up the prices. It was great for the stock market because future in future cash flow as interest rates came down became more value, more valuable, the different what we call a different discount rate. And of course it was spectacular for bonds because if you own bonds with a seven percent coupon and comparable bonds and now have a 3% coupon, you have a very nice total return. And one of the traps people got into based on mutual fund flow information was that as rates came down, people were still looking for income, and they did two things. They pushed out further on the yield curve, buying 20 and 30-year bonds or bond funds, and they lowered the credit quality to get the higher yields. And that came back to bite them badly, and if I have time, I'll get into that. But as always, I take today's calls first, today's text second, and then anything else like bloviation material third. But right now, we have a caller. Randy, you're on the air. How may I help? Hello. Uh, Hi. Big fan of the show. Thank you. Uh, I am wondering, I'm, I'm in my mid-70s uh-huh. and don't know how much longer I'll be around, although I'm in fairly good shape right now. Good. But I'm wondering, I have a, an IRA in a mm-hmm. brokerage account plus mm-hmm. cash mm-hmm. that's maintaining around 300 k Yes. 
And I'm wondering if if I start this year putting, uh, you know, looking at my marginal uh, rate, tax yes. rate, yes. and putting some of that IRA into Roth. Yes. And by the time that I pass, yes. uh, I'm wondering uh, if I can bequeath that Roth to a maintenance account for the estate that I still own one-third of a share in Louisiana uh, to the maintenance account rather than to an individual because it's not taxable. I, I know you're not a tax attorney, but right. I thought right. maybe you'd have an easy answer yeah. for that. To the best of my knowledge, uh, you cannot have a, a non-human um, beneficiary. Now, I have seen where people have put trusts in, but of course the trust has human beneficiaries, uh, and I know that most accountants have recommended to me to not use the trust as a beneficiary because that was there's no uh, extension, there's no life expectancy, and so that trust would have to be cashed in immediately. That doesn't really answer your question. I have. I have never encountered a, a situation other than a trust where a where another a non-human entity was the beneficiary. Now, obviously, if you have a non five hundred one c three, you know yet you could you could put those assets to your church or synagogue or your alma mater or whatever. But you're talking about a different kind of organization. I I, I the answer is I don't think so. I don't think you can do that because I think I would have encountered it if I if if I'd if that were viable. But we have a lot of smart people here, including some tax experts. And you tell me, I'm going to write this down because if I don't get the answer, I'm going to look for it this week. What not by name, but what what did you what did you call this particular kind of uh, of entity again, please? Well, um, it is a uh, a property maintenance account in cash. Property maintenance account, okay. That we can all draw from if we need to make uh, repairs or any upgrades on right. a non-productive 50-acre um, um, uh-huh. um, inherited uh, property in Louisiana. Okay. Well, I don't. I'm, I'm not. I, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't think so. But I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm going to find out, and when I do, I'm going to. I'm going to give the answer on the air. Okay. Well, I'm sitting here listening to your uh, show and just thought, why don't I ask, why don't I ask Carl? <laughs> yeah. Just on, in case. But, yeah, uh, for I sure. I sure appreciate the, the show, and I hope everybody else does, too. Okay, thanks for calling. Thanks, You're listening, Carl. You All bet. Right. You're Bye. listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Jack, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, how you Hi. doing today? Good, thanks. Hey, I've got, I'm 60 years old. I've got a, a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. Yes. Married, filing jointly. We have a combined modified adjusted gross income exceeding the limits. I think it's 180000 Yes. And therefore, I cannot contribute to those two. Is that correct? That is absolutely my understanding. Yes. I, I'm trying to read the small print here. But it's my understanding that the annual compensation threshold, let me look. 
I, you're, you're, I'm not sure it's 180, but you sound sure of yourself. That the answer is correct. If you have, if you have the income above that, then you're not allowed to do it. That's correct. Okay, so I've got an idea for a workaround. So I have a yeah. little uh, sole proprietorship business in the state of Texas. Can can I set some other? I'm not familiar with 401ks, but I can I set something else up to contribute to a retirement plan in within that sole proprietorship? Uh, the answer is yes. There's also, I'm going to come back to that. There's something else you can do. You can do an after-tax contribution to an IRA, right? There's no limit to your income when you do an IRA that's, that's, uh, that you don't get a tax deduction for. So you could do an after-tax contribution, you and your wife could, for like $14,000, $7,000 each, and then you could set up a Roth IRA and immediately do a conversion of that after-tax IRA into the Roth. You'd have no or virtually no income, and you could get into a Roth that way. That's my understanding. Okay, so that would be something to consider. If you had okay. a, if that that that's if the if that amount of money is sufficient. Yeah, the other thing you can you can do uh, is you can put money into. If you're since you own the business, you could put, you could open an SCP IRA where the contribution limits uh, are. I'm doing this from memory, but I think they're up to 25 percent of income, and so you could put a lot more in if you had income in that, and then you would have it in the SCP IRA, and I'm pretty sure then you could convert the money that you had put in the SCP IRA into a Roth IRA once again then the, you wouldn't have hardly any taxes because, you know, you had, it hadn't been there long enough. Now, that's a pretty tricky thing, and I'm, I'm not confident that I'm, that I'm right about that. I do know on that IRA I've had people tell me, not the SEP with your sole proprietorship, but I have had people tell me on the IRA you can do an after-tax IRA and then convert that to a Roth. So I'm pretty comfortable you could do that for sure. What's the letters SCP stand for? I think it's Simplified Employee or Simplified Employer Plan, I believe it is. Oh, okay. I'll look yeah, that up. Yeah, you. I've actually got one because I own my own business. I've had one for 25 years. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a heck of a deal if, you get, if you've got the income because you get the tax deduction going in and you're not limited to the same lower, lower maximum contribution that you are with an IRA. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Terrific. Thanks for calling. You're listening Thank to you Money Mike. Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We're coming down to our last quarter hour. It's time for me to take a break. If you've got a question, call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. A lot of fun this afternoon. Good questions, mediocre answers perhaps, but you're listening to Money Talk, and you can call at 512-836-0590. Stephen, you're on the air. How may I help? Okay. Must not be there. Terry, you're on the air. How may I help? Hello, Carl? Yes, sir. This is Stephen. Okay, Stephen, good. Okay, how may I, I help? 
I'm sorry. I got a question for you. About two months ago, you were talking about how you had heard from, or learned from some guys that the use of gold to ensure wealth. I think I got that right. I just was kind of curious. You see tons of TV commercials where you've got elderly people using gold and their grandkids are touching it and feeling it and gold coins. And I just want to know, how does that work if you've got, yeah. say you've got a million dollars in assets, right. say 10% of it is in gold. How would yeah. that work? So, how would you ensure your wealth? Yeah, you, yeah, well, uh, I you wouldn't, and and if you if you thought I said insured, I did not mean that at all. I what I was I was answering a question about what various assets should be in a in a portfolio, and I talked about stocks and bonds, and I said gold, but I, I'm not recommending what you're seeing on TV. I really like the uh, exchange traded fund that you can buy any day of the week. It owns the gold. It's actually a trust. It owns the gold. It trades with the price of gold. It's very cheap to own, and you can buy. You can buy and sell it. If you buy the bullion, it's illiquid, and you got to store it. And if you buy the coins, you're paying more than the value of the gold because someone minted the coin and then they marked it up. And if you want to sell sell it, you're going to get less than the value because they're going to mark it down because they're in business to trade and make a profit. So you don't insure it with gold. All you do is what you do is you add, what you're doing is adding another asset along with your, if you have a million dollars and you're an investor, not just, not just sticking it in the bank, you ought to have some allocation to global stocks, some allocation to bonds and I, and some allocation Currently, I've been. This has been my view the last three years. It was not my view for the forty-two years before then. I might add that gold has a place in the portfolio. You can buy the gold mining shares, so you can do that. But I don't do that because they tend to be do better in good times and far worse in bad times for gold. Or you can buy this exchange traded fund. And then you get your exposure to the gold. You can go online and study these things. They can even show you the vault where the gold is. That's what I would do. But it's not insuring it. But I'll give you an example. Last year, when U.S. stocks were down, depending on which index, the S&P was down 18%, the NASDAQ was down 32 or 33 and gold was somewhere between 0 and minus 1%. That's a good performance when everything else goes to heck in a handbasket. This year, gold's up about 7.3%. Now, it's a lot less than stocks, but it's a positive return after inflation. So that's what I was talking about, Stephen. Okay, well, that was kind of clarify some things because I was wondering, what, how are you going to insure wealth? Because no. I do have an ETF as part yeah. of my good. portfolio that does good. have a little bit of, of, of uh, a gold position. Yes, but you also said, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the last time that gold was a, a proper asset, or not, not a proper asset, was 1983 when the value had done something? No, I didn't the, say that. No, I was not, wasn't about gold. But I can go back to you. I can tell you that gold peaked in 1980. I didn't, this is new information. Well, I maybe didn't that's say it. it. You said it peaked. Okay. I said interest rates peaked in 1981. Gold peaked in 1980. Today, gold at approximately $2,000 an ounce. 
is still lower on an inflation-adjusted basis than it was in 1980 when it was $800. Gold's going to have to get above $2,100 before it's going to get back to the price it was on an inflation-adjusted basis over 43 years ago. That that's that's my understanding. Okay. Okay. Well, see, that's why it's always good to listen and <laughs> mull on stuff and call you back and get clarification because yeah, I've been yes. muddling out in the weeds for a long time. So, but I do appreciate you, and like the other okay. caller said, you are a voice of reason in an otherwise gloomy world. <laughs> okay, Stephen. Thank you very much. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Terry, you're on the air. How may I help? Can you hear me? I sure can. Yeah, uh, I have a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA, and also have a cash account, all with Fidelity. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of the year, I have to pay out of the rollover IRA account, you know, to right. the uh, whatever they call that. Required um, minimum distribution? Exactly. Okay. And so last year when I did that, I took money out of the cash account and, and put it into the Roth and my CPA came back and said, you can't do that unless you have income. I'm retired. Yeah. And so am I stuck? Yes. Putting anything, I can't put anything else into the Roth. Is that you correct? Can, you can, all you can do, you can't put a new contribution in because you don't have uh, income from work. What you can do is you can take money out of your IRA, pay the taxes, and put money in the Roth IRA. That's called a conversion. That's not a That's new contribution. That's not a new contribution. If you took, but you cannot take your required minimum distribution and put it in the Roth and think that you don't have to pay the taxes. So let's just say you have a required minimum distribution of fifteen thousand dollars. You're going to take that, pay the tax on it. If you want to put money out, more money out of your IRA into your Roth and pay the taxes on that, you can do that if you want to. So the minimum distribution, I have to pay taxes on it. Absolutely. Right. Right. So if it goes into my cash account and I pay taxes on it, why yes. can't I then put it into the Roth? I don't understand I, that. Because I suspect, I'm not a CPA, I suspect that you're spun, you got to take more money out of the IRA to do that. That's my guess. But money is fungible. I mean, if you, if you had a $15,000 required minimum distribution, you took it out, and you wanted to put $15,000 in your Roth, that wouldn't be a conversion. You'd have to take another fifteen out of your IRA is my understanding. Okay. So if I, so I have to, it has to be direct IRA to IRA. It can't go anywhere, anywhere else in between. That's my understanding. Yes, exactly. Yes, sir. Every, every conversion I've ever seen is directly from one IRA to another. That's my experience. I, I got it now. Okay. Well, that my CPA was correct then, and I, I was just uh, wondering how I was going to feed that Roth in the future. But I can yeah. do it if I want to pay taxes, more taxes than I've been wanting to pay. So. That's exactly correct. That's my understanding. I appreciate your being here. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Thank you. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. And by the way, the SCP stands for Simplified Employee Pension Plan, not and just plan. That's that's what SEP stands for. 512-836-0590. Marianne, you're on the air. How may I help? We just have a couple minutes, isn't that right? Just yeah, we've got about, uh, about five minutes. 
Oh, okay. If you were um, going to speak to a group of uh, young people, younger people, and you wanted to say uh, five points in retirement plan, would you mind giving us that? Yes. The first thing that most people don't appreciate is what's called the magic of compounding. And if I were teaching a class, I'd put up a chart that showed if I'm just you pick a number. It doesn't have to be a big number. $100. And I'd pick a moderate uh, re- uh, return assumption, say 5%. And I'd show what that $100 would be worth 20 and 25 and 30 and 35 years later. It's an astonishing number. In the early years, it looks like it's just flat. So picture a chart where the x-axis, the horizontal axis, is the number of years from today out 40 years. And the y-axis, the vertical axis, is the value of $100. The first year it's $100, the next year it's $105, the next year it's $111, whatever. Then you start. Then it starts compounding. And in the later years, it's a huge amount of money. So that's the first thing, is beginning to understand the magic of compounding. The second thing, then, that you learn from the first thing is the benefit of getting started early. Because if you start saving for your retirement when you're 50, you have to put so much more money in at a very time when you may not have that because you may have kids, you may be paying for a college education, you may have a mortgage. If you're a young person and get started early, you are going to have a much bigger amount of money than the average person who's 55 or 50. And the the next thing is understanding the difference in asset classes between stocks and bonds and cash. Because a lot of people, sadly we don't have these classes in school, that cash, putting the money in the money market fund, which right now is terrific, 5%, is never going to get you where you want to get. Because what you want to do is grow faster than inflation. And historically, while there will be short periods of time when cash will will outperform inflation, there are very few of those happen. So first is the magic of compounding. The second is starting early. The third is understanding that you want assets that grow faster than inflation. And there really is only one for a young person because they can't afford to go out and buy rental property. It's common stocks. Okay. The third thing is pay yourself first. Set yourself up so that you understand what I was talking to a 24-year-old person and she just graduated from graduate school in New York and she said to me, what, what do you recommend? Uh, going forward, I said, take all your receipts, keep, keep and everything you spend money on, whether it's Starbucks or groceries or whatever, and write that down, and you will get a sense of what your weekly, monthly expenses are. And most Americans figure, if I've got cash in the bank at the end of the day, at the end of my pay period, I'm okay, which, of course, isn't true. I need to stop thinking about myself as uh, an income statement, how much money do I have and how much do I spend, and think about myself as a balance sheet. Because if I want to retire and my income goes to zero, my expenses do not go to zero. I better have a pile of capital that will allow me to continue to live. So those are the key factors. And once I understand what I'm, how I'm spending, I begin to pay myself. And as my income, if, I, if this works out, and I hope it does, if my income grows over time, 
then in every incremental dollar, some portion of that should go into my retirement savings. If I do those things, the country wouldn't be in the position we're in with a whole bunch of people with, you know, a dollar ninety-eight in savings. So those are the things that I would focus on, Marianne. Uh, well, I appreciate you going over that, and that's exactly my understanding too, because uh, you got years, and they are so valuable. Oh my goodness! You... Yeah, yeah, they really are. Thank you. You bet. Thanks. Appreciate for you going over that with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Here was a text. Uh, I don't think I can answer in time. How does an individual person who is financially savvy optimize their portfolio without a complex software program or a financial advisor? That is a terrific question, and uh, I'll be able to, because I think these texts will show up next week when I come on the air, and I will be able to take a look at that and see if uh, and give you the, my best answer. There's another text here that says, um, uh, by the way, I'm 65. Okay, that was not a C. That's about the Roth IRA. These are questions that are going to take longer answers. A lot of fun this afternoon. Lots of calls. And uh, first day for my new producer, Garrett, to be on the job. He did a terrific, terrific job this afternoon. I thank you for being loyal and regular listeners. And tell everybody about it because we have a lot of fun. Every Saturday after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 